Good morning, everyone. Welcome and welcome online. Uh, you, you, things probably look a little different right now. We're using the new system, although without all the knowledge. <laughs> so, so bear with us. We we are still working. It, it'll be a few few more weeks before we have our worship online. We've got to get all that figured out. But I am so excited that, I mean, here we got to enjoy the new system. And even with that, by the way, there are things that, that we need to do. Uh, perhaps I'll talk afterwards, um, something that we need to add to it and raise money for. But, uh, but let's open in prayer this morning, and then we'll go through what the Lord has. Father, we worship you and praise you, and Lord, we trust you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your Son, our King, our Messiah, our friend. We thank you, Lord, that this life here is not just about endurance. It's not just about survival until you either take us home or you come. But it is about victory. It is about pressing into you, developing a personal, intimate friendship with you, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. I cannot express how much in awe we are of you and how much we long to just be with you. But Lord, you have purpose in this relationship. You have a calling in this relationship. Not just for me. Not just for ignition. But for all who would say yes to that call. This morning I pray for the ears that will be listening online. I pray especially for the ears that will listen through a cynical filter. That you will prick their hearts, Father, just to listen to your voice. To do your will. You are unifying your bride. You will unify your bride. We love you, Lord. I give you my voice. I give you my hands, my feet. Father, speak through me what you will, none of myself. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. About five years ago, five and a half years ago, this 
process started. Well, really, the process started before that, but I mean the process of ignition. And this morning when I was with the Lord, oh, man. The sweetest time is when it's just you and him. The sweetest time is when there's nothing else. And I'm not saying that corporately it can't be sweet. It can and it is. But if you can't look back in your own life and say that the sweetest times with the Lord are when it's just me and Him, then I want you to ask Him why. Why? This morning when I was with Him, if, if you know anything about our house, I have this chair that I sit in. I think it's got a groove in it that's, well, anyways. It's where I sit. It's, it's, it's my chair. Because from that chair, I could see out into the front yard, and I could see all the way through the kitchen. I could literally see anything going on on that floor of the house. I could even see people coming down the stairs that are around the floor, which my family probably doesn't know. I shouldn't say this out loud. But I see them coming down because I see it reflected in a picture. So I, I, from this vantage point, can see everything. And I was with him this morning, and I, I, just, I was just wrecked with him. I, I, I couldn't stop, and all I kept thinking is, I see everything, and that means they could probably see me. <laughs> right? You ever, you ever do that where, where the Lord has just got you so tight in his grips that this emotion is flowing out and then you become cognizant of, oh, people walking down the stairs and, oh, people in the kitchen or, oh, people being able to see me. So I thought, well, I can't control that, so I'll put my glasses on. Maybe they'll think I'm reading. But this morning what he showed me, we're going to get into, we're going to get into my absolute favorite portion of the Word of God But it it wasn't always that way. It wasn't that way until the last five years, until this relationship that I had built with him, this became so precious to me. We're going to go a couple other places first, but I'm excited for getting into John 15. But this morning, he also showed me this picture, this vantage point of what this this movement has looked like. How many in here, and I've I've shared this before, but how many in here like roller coasters? Yeah, it's it's usually a third to half. There's a good portion that do not like roller coasters. All right. Well, for those who do not like roller coasters, let me just apologize in advance for this analogy. But this walk that we have been on with the Lord, this intimacy with Him, that's what it is like. That's what it looks like. But let me explain. Because we're not even on the bumps yet, guys. We're not even on the bumps. When you think of a roller coaster, you're thinking of this and this, 
right? Maybe upside down and all that stuff. We're not even there yet. That's when you put up your hands and you just enjoy. If you like roller coasters. So if you don't like roller coasters, we'll, we'll think of a different analogy perhaps. We began deciding are we going to get into the car or not. Have you ever been to a roller coaster where you haven't tried this yet? It's a new one out. Perhaps it's everybody said how scary it was or whatever. And you're in the line and you're waiting in line for 45 minutes or whatever. You finally get up to the front and it's your time to get into the car. You have to make a decision. Am I actually going to do this? You've been thinking about it now for 45 minutes. You've been watching the people ahead of you. And when they get into the car... The smile on their face. But then you're watching the cars come in that are done. And you see in some, you see this laughing, joy, whatever. And in others, you see absolute terror. <laughs> and you're like, okay, I don't know if I want to get on this or not. I've seen people that waited in line all that time, even people that were with me. And we go to get in. No, I can't do it can't do it. That's why they have an actual exit area right there for people that can't quite get in the car. See, that takes faith. That takes a trust that whoever manufactured that thing, whoever engineered it, engineered it in a way that it's not going to come off the tracks. Right? You can look at statistics and say, well, you know, one out of a hundred thousand or one out of a hundred million, whatever, survived this ride. But there's always that one. And Lord, is that one me? Is that one me? If I step into this danger zone, is it going to be me that cannot handle it? Is it going to be me that flies off the tracks? Or even, is it just going to be me on that roller coaster that flies off? doesn't even mean the roller coaster flies off. And that scare you about roller coasters, but recently, I think it was in the UK just a few weeks ago, a guy died because he literally flew out of the car of a roller coaster. I don't know if the thing didn't work or if he jumped out. I, I don't even know what, what the deal was there, but... Um, Anyways, the, the first choice is getting in, right? And that is a step of faith, because one year, once you're in, you're in. You can't halfway through decide, okay, this isn't for me, I want to go ahead. Because what happens? Well, you're going to literally kill yourself if it's a real roller coaster. In this life, though, in your walk with the Lord, you lose in the same way. So the first thing is to choose to get in. And when you choose to get in, what happens? Well, the first thing that happens is they make sure this bar goes down to lock you in. It's a normal roller coaster. And by the way, my favorite roller coasters are those old wood ones. Like King's Dominion Rebel Yell. By far the best. It's, it's, it's not the element of flipping you upside down and curly cues and all that. It's more the element of this thing is like 60 years old. And there's a chance. <laughs> there 
there's a chance, because it's pretty old and rickety. Right? No, but I love that. But anyways, in those, these, this bar comes down, locks you in. You spend the next 30 seconds going like this. Just trying to, you want to make sure that under any kind of pressure, that thing's not going to unloose. That thing's not going to release. So you're, you're like, okay, man, I got, I got three inches. That's too much. Too much. Oh, help her, help her. Come here. Is this working right? Is this working right? Because I feel like I could fly out of this. No, sir. No, ma'am. It's working fine. Don't be afraid. You sure you, we're like leaving in 30 seconds. Can you handle this? Otherwise, we need to get you to the exit. Okay, so you, you get past that with your faith. And this is all steps of faith, right? So now it's like, okay. And, and by the way, I'm talking about the first time you ride on this. Because by the 10th, 11th time you've ridden on it, it's like, click, hope it worked, arms up, <laughs> sit back. Yeah, I can't wait. This is awesome, right? So you're all clicked in. And then the car starts to move. And then you start to think, was this the wisest choice? Was this smart to do? But in the same thought, you're thinking, but it's not a choice anymore. We're moving. I can't do anything about this. Oh, no. The choice right there is, do I let panic set in? Some people have. I've been on roller coasters where there's been a person who has panicked at that point. Not a whole lot they could do about it. Kind of felt sorry for the person sitting next to them. But when you allow in this walk to let fear get so gripped in your life, it will produce that panic, even though you haven't done anything yet. It's only in the anticipation of what's coming. So then you start to move. And what happens, and I, I'm, I'm using the rebel yell as an example here because I think that was the last time I was on a roller coaster. So you start to go up this massive, insane hill. And it's held up by those same rickety boards that you heard when you were standing in line. <laughs> And as a builder, I know how long those things last. Okay, so all this stuff starts to go through your mind. You're going up, and, and again, remember, I'm talking about the first time. You're going up, and at first, okay, I can, I can deal with this. But then you start getting up this hill, and it's like, man, this is really high. Okay, this is way high. It didn't look this bad from the ground. It is way high from up here. Are those, are those people down there? And then you get up to the top. Yes. <laughs> then you get up to the top. See, everything is controlled on the way up. You're moving at an at a equal pace. You're not going right. You're not going left. You're just going forward and, and moving upward. But I, I'm curious here. Who in here likes the front, the front car. Okay, you, you all just don't even live. Who likes the back car? Who's with me? Seriously, like four of you. All right, I like the back car. The front car is awesome, except in the front car, you get over the top and you're, you're like this and you're still not moving. It's like, come on, hurry up. 
in the back car, you're like whipped over the top. And you're like, whoa. And you're just being pulled along. But see, at the top, there comes a point where everything is just in motion according to what has been set in motion. You see what I'm saying? Nothing more you could do. Not that you could do anything going up the hill either. But nothing more you could do. Nothing more you could secure. It's happening whether you want it to or not. But in some ways, if you enjoy roller coasters, that's where the fun begins. That's where the fun begins. I remember the Rebel Yell has this first drop is this insanely steep, long drop. And it's like, it's like when you get to the bottom, where'd my stomach go? Because it's somewhere behind me, up above me. I, I don't know, because it just went when you crest over that hill. But then there comes a moment, again, if you like roller coasters, where you settle into it. You come down this hill, you finally get your stomach back to where it, it is supposed to be, and, you know, if you're like me, you have your hands up here, just trusting that the Lord will keep you in the car, and you're moving forward, and you settle into the ride, right? Now, that ride has all kinds of things in it. But you settle into the ride and say, Lord, take me where you want me to go. It's no different than a personal walk with him. Now, what's even worse is when you go on a roller coaster that is inside a mountain, a Disney World. And you go into a portion of it where you're flipping back and forth, up and down, and you can't see a thing. Now, that's trust. That's real trust. But isn't that the same way God is in our walk with him? He wants that trust. See, trust is something that is built by faith. You choose to trust. You choose to believe. Now, I could be analytical about it and say, no, I can't get onto that car because... Well, you've got this. You've got these people that actually died in it. You've got this. This thing's, you know, 42 years old, and it's only made to last 30 years. And you've got this, and you've got that. You know, the space between the bar and the seat is two inches greater than what I can handle to be secured in there. So, so I can't go onto that car. You can have a million reasons. It's raining out. I can't get in the car because, because there's this mist, and if there's a mist, it could, it could rust something, and maybe that would make it jump the track, and all of a sudden everybody dies and, and the world just explodes. Okay, you can take analytically and talk yourself out of everything. But you could do the same thing with God. You can analytically start to piece things together in your own mind, in your own wisdom, in human wisdom, and say, this is why I can't get in the car. 
While the whole time God is saying, but that's where my will is. It's in the car. It's when you give me full control of your life. When you have built or begun to build, said yes about relationship to me. Gave me the green light to work in your life. That's when I can begin to show you these analytical processes. Don't work with God. If you're stuck with the analytical processes, you will never see a miracle for what it is. Somebody could be raised from the dead right in front of you, and you will look at the human reason why that happened. Or why somebody was healed. Why a drug addict that had been a drug addict for 20 years immediately was healed and never touched it again the rest of his life. Same with alcohol. See, we've seen those things. Analytically, you can look at that and say, well, that's not real. Or here's the real way it happened. Because science. No, this is how it happened. Every, in every case of that, you are taking God out of the equation. What happened to a miraculous God? See, there's not a Christian that you would talk to that says God does not heal. All of us believe he heals. But yet very few of us believe that he would do it miraculously right here and right now. Why is that? It's because we haven't gotten in the car. We haven't begun to build relationship with Him. We've had those analytical thoughts in our mind that, that make us believe that car's not for us. Or that car is dangerous. Or that car, perhaps, is the world. Or maybe it's just a little too kooky. I don't know. There's probably a plethora of reasons that keep Christians out of the car. Keep Christians from saying yes to God no matter what. See, when you get in the car, when you say yes and you get in the car, can't get out. I mean, without it severely hurting you. <laughs> See, it's the same with building relationship with Jesus Christ. It is a tiered system of giving Him your faith of giving Him your trust, of Him testing your faith, testing your trust. What does unity look like when we have the bride that has all gotten in that car? What does that look like? I mean, we've never seen it. We've never seen it from the very first day of the church. We've never seen it. That first day, 3,000 were added. And so much was added at the beginning, they couldn't even, immediately the problems came. The force against the church started the same day the church started. So we've never seen a unified bride. We've never seen a bride completely on the same track. And it got worse. It got worse, not better. Now, 
You have a bride. And what do, what do I mean when I say bride for those who are watching? I mean someone who recognizes Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Somebody who has asked him into their heart. Recognized him as the son of God who came to earth, became a man, lived a perfect sinless life, gave his life on the cross was raised three days later and sits at the foot of the Father. When you accept Jesus Christ into your heart, no matter what else you believe, you become a part of the bride. When we talk about the bride, that's who we're talking about. Now, within the bride, you've got all sorts of different kinds of people. You've got people that that's all they will ever do is accept Jesus Christ as Savior and then go on to live their life within their own control. It's sad, but many have done that. Many all throughout since Jesus died on the cross have done that. You also have many that that accept Him as Savior, become part of the bride, but then get pigeonholed into an area of the bride that controls the outcome of who they are. That's the saddest part. That's what has produced the different denominations. That is what has produced... Why do you think we have so many... Good night. Not even denominations, but how about, how about factions within a dom- denomination? I don't know how many kind... I grew up Baptist. I don't know how many kind, different kinds of Baptists there are, but I'm guessing thousands. Maybe as many as there are people in, I don't know. Just even within that, there are different factions of it. Why? Why were they brought to their own faction, all believing that we are right and the others are just a little bit off? And I say that with authority because that is exactly how I believed. That I just happened to pick the one. I just happened to grow up in the one that got it right. Praise God. Thank you that we got it right. You know what? There's not a single one of us, a single one in the bride that has gotten it right fully. Now, there are some that have really gotten it wrong. And it's because they do not open themselves up to relationship with Jesus Christ, because that's the key. What happened to, it's all about you, God? What happened to, it's all about you, Jesus? We sing that. The bride sings that, it's all about you, Jesus. And as soon as I'm with you, you come and get me, then then I'll prove it to you. No, if it's really all about Him, then we would become a unified bride. There would no longer be factions of the bride. What does it look like? Can you imagine a unified bride? Oh, wow, I have said this before. 
even years ago with Ignition, what would it look like for a small group of people, a small group of 50 people, to be unified in Christ? Truly unified in Him. What would that, what would that look like? What would it do? What would it produce? Well, you know what? We've lived that. We see now as this small group of 50 people what it has produced. It has produced way more than we could have ever hoped. And he hasn't even gotten started yet. And this is just 50 people. Imagine if all the churches, the entire bride in the United States, just the United States, was unified. Imagine what that would look like. You know, maybe, maybe that's too much to hope for yet. Imagine what it'll look like with the thousands of people that are coming this Friday and Saturday to D.C. Imagine what it'll look like if just they unify. Whew. See, that's not just atmosphere changing. That's world changing. Because see, it doesn't take much for God to, to use to change the entire world. If you don't believe me, look at just about every single story in the Word of God. He didn't use masses of people. Even when he had them available, he didn't. He always used individuals that were willing to to give him everything, including their lives. That's what's unique. I could show you what it's going to look like when there's a unified bride, because the Bible shows us. Shows us. In fact, let's turn there. Turn to Revelation. Revelation chapter 11. I did a message on this about a year ago, end of September last year. If, if uh, you want to go back and, and hear the details of it. Talked about the three woes. Talked about how we are in a precursor of those. And I'm not going to go for, through the first two. But I want to go to the third one. Because, see, the third one is unique to the bride. When you read and, and study Revelation, you, you all of a sudden realize that, you know, this seventh trumpet, it doesn't really have anything to do with Israel. Which is what the tribulation is all about. It's about judgment for the sake of Israel. Not judging Israel, but judging the world for the sake of Israel. But this... this this third woe, this seventh trumpet, it, it just it's just kind of out there all, all on its own, doesn't have any connection until you really begin to understand the mystery of the church. Then it makes sense. But I'm going to read this because it is a picture of a unified bride. Verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world 
has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Hey guys, a little clue here. That hasn't happened yet. Right? This, this physical atmosphere that we are in, I mean, you look at it and you would probably say it's about opposite of the Lord's kingdom reigning on earth. And, and by the way, we're not talking about the thousand year reign here either. That comes later in Revelation. That is when Jesus himself is here. That's not what this is. This is his kingdom with Jesus Christ at the helm, but still sitting at the right hand of God, becomes here on this earth and ruling on this earth. Verse 16, And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God. I want to interject there. That is one of the clues that this is talking about the church. If you want to do any back research, which I encourage you to do, that's one of the clues that this is talking about the church. Because if you do any any kind of, of research and understanding of the 24 elders, you, you'll know that they are one of three people in the word of God that are kings and priests. Jesus is king and a priest. And pretty obvious it's not talking about Jesus. Melchizedek was a king and a priest. Pretty obvious it's not talking about Melchizedek. Who else are kings and priests? We are. We are. When you accept Jesus Christ into your heart, you become part of this bride. The bride are, are called kings and priests. So verse 17, these 24 elders that bowed their faces and worshiped God, they said, we give thanks to you. Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign here. This isn't him reigning in heaven. He already reigns in heaven. This is him reigning here on earth. Verse 18, your next clue to that. The nations raged. Do you get a sense that they're raging right now? Yeah, they have been a while. They, they have been for a while, but nothing like it's been recently. The nations raged, but your wrath came. Ooh, that's one. We we can we just write a version that deletes that part out? Maybe. Yeah, we can't, right? Because that is the fullness of God. The nations raged and your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged and for the rewarding of your servants, the prophets and the saints. Don't get that confused with the Bema Seat of Christ because it's not. This is a reward of those here in his kingdom that he now reigns here on earth. This is also not to be confused, as I said before, with the thousand year reign. And those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. See, this great battle for the bride, for the unity of the bride. We here at Ignition know this. 
We've experienced it. We've been on the battlefield for a long time. And God is destroying the destroyers of the earth. This, this is not human. This is Ephesians 6 stuff, where we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against pow- principalities, powers, rulers of darkness. Those are the destroyers that destroy this earth. God, God is prophetically saying here that in the readying of the bride, they're going to be destroyed. They're going to be taken out. And then ending it, in, then verse 19, Then God's temple in heaven was open, and the ark of, the, of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and earthquake and heavy hail. This is the third woe. This is what is coming for the bride, the physical bride on this earth. This is what's coming. This is a unified bride. This is what we're working toward. This is when he takes his remnant, his own voice, and makes it known to the world. See, we haven't been known to the world up till now. We've been, if you will, in hiding. Not not because of our own desire, but because of his. It's kind of like going up that roller coaster. I felt this morning that we're at the top. See, nobody watches a roller coaster when people go up. They want to see what they look like coming down and through it. See, God said to us a couple days ago that no more will you be unseen. Because he is about to put this message forth. People are going to hear this more than a few hundred or a few thousand. He's going to put it forth to the whole world. Are you ready? Are you ready, Ignition? Because he's about to do it. We're already on that roller coaster. Can't get out. Are you ready to move? Are you ready to trust in the dips, in the climbs, in the twirls? Are you ready? Because ready or not, it's here. And even to those who have been listening and have been critics of what we have been saying for even years, I thank God for them. I thank God for their passion because they will get it right. They will see truth. They will recognize from what has been said now that when they see things happen, they will recognize the truth of God and His Word. This is what it looks like to have a ready bride. But what's it take? 
Turn to John 15. I'm going to read this through because I, I know I don't want to take up too much time and I've preached from this before, but I'm going to read it through and then go back. There is so much in here we could literally spend the next couple weeks just pressed into here. I want to encourage you. Go home. When you go home today, tomorrow, the next couple days, dive into John 15. Don't just take it on its surface. That's where the analytical have a problem. Pray to God and say, Lord, peel back the layers. Show me the layers of what you mean here, of what you want for my life here. Verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he leaves alone and you have a happy life. Is that what it says? No. He prunes. What does it mean to prune? It means to cut off, cut away. Cut this little piece off that little piece off, that literally changes the direction of that plant. You ever, you ever see those, what are they called, origami trees or, or bonsai trees? I knew it was Japanese. It was something. It was origami. That's the paper thing, isn't it? Okay. The bonsai tree. Isn't that kind of what you say when you go over the crest of the Never mind. Sorry. See, when you want a bonsai tree, you take a normal tree at its birth and you begin clipping away pieces that then direct its growth. That's what God does. See, because God has the picture of what we're supposed to be. We don't. We could guess. We could take even his prophetic words and have an idea. But he's the one with the clear picture. And so those who say yes to him and those who begin to move in him, he takes those little clippers and he starts clipping off things that would take our energy, gets rid of them. That way, all the energy is going into the growth of what he wants. Already you are clean. Think of it this way, because he is talking to the bride in chapter 15. This is not talking to the world. This is talking to those who have accepted Jesus Christ into their hearts as Savior. Already you are clean. Already you have accepted Him as Savior. Already your sins are forgiven. You have been bathed in the blood of Jesus Christ and you have this Jesus filter wrapped all around you so God looks at you through that Jesus filter. He said, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What does it mean to abide? It means to stay. It means to dwell. 
by choice to stay there and be there. Even when you want to be somewhere else. Even when it doesn't seem like you're getting something in your personal time with God. Abiding is a choice. It's a simple choice to stay, to dwell, to press in. Regardless of the reaction. goes back to what God says. He says, when you take a step to me, I'll take a step toward you. He doesn't say, look, I'm going to come after you and I'm really hoping you'll say yes. That's what he does with salvation. That is evangelism. Where he pursues. But relationship with him is reciprocal. And in fact, we take the first step. We say, Jesus, yes, I step in you. I give you my yes. I desire to abide. Help me to abide. Help me to stay. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Don't confuse this with losing your salvation. That's not what this is. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, you're sealed beyond your own power. You're sealed until you get there. So unless when you get there and you get eternal life, the Lord says, okay, now you go to hell, then that doesn't even matter. And clearly he's not going to do that. So this isn't talking about losing your salvation. Oh, now you're not abiding in him. You're, you're not having fruit. He'll cut you off, throw you in, in hell because you're worthless to him. No, that's not what this is saying. You maybe become worthless in terms of the fruit that can be produced through you. But that is between you and the Lord. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I don't know if there's another verse in the Bible, specifically in the charismatic realms, that is more misused than this verse. First of all, they don't understand what it means to abide. Because all they think through is the processes of command and declaration. And, and I'm not saying all of them, but I, I'm saying you, you, can, you can look and see pretty evident who they are, because words have weight. James tells us that. Declarations have weight for good or for bad. Our words carry weight. So what Jesus is saying here is, if you abide in me and you, if you build a relationship with me, and you are intimate with me, ask whatever you will, and I'll give it to you. I'll do it for you. Why? Because your heart is mine. See, what does it mean to build a relationship with him? It means that if this is his heart and this is your heart, and they're separated, relationship brings them together and does this. See, when you are this, this is what Jesus was with the Father, and is with the Father. He said, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. 
And yet, they're two different personas, if you will. Two different personalities. Just like us, he said, you can be in me. And I in you. And that puts you in the Father. What does that mean? It means our hearts did this. That all of a sudden, when I do that, my desires, what comes out of my heart, is exactly what God wants. Because it's His heart that is impressioned all over it. That's His desire. That's what He wants. It's at that point, He says, yes, whatever you need, call it out in your realm. Because it is my will. It will be my will because your heart is entwined with mine. And I literally infuse my will into your heart. But there's a fine line here. Because, see, we can manipulate if we don't give him everything. If we give him portions of who we are, we could misread his voice. If we hold back any category and, and we say that, well, yeah, but here's why I hold that back, it doesn't matter. If we hold anything back at all, then we don't have a heart that can do this. Maybe the heart does that. Maybe, maybe it does that. Or maybe it's still there. Do you see what I mean? We cannot walk purely in His will while we are holding back something from Him. That's like if I kept a secret from Alexis. Then there's something between us if I keep a secret. And I don't mean like there's going to be a surprise birthday party or something. I'm talking about things that affect our relationship. If I had another family somewhere, yeah, that would kind of be a problem between us. Why? Well, no, I could work that out. Why can't I work? She'll never know. I'm just a business guy that travels all the time. I provide for my family. In, in, in fact, I provide really well for my family. My wife drives a BMW. No, she doesn't, but... You know what I'm saying. If there's something between us, we can never have the purity of that relationship. It's the same with God. When you hold back something, especially out of fear, out of needing to control, well, Lord, I hold back my finances. Ooh, that's a big one. Because that is massive control, because that's literally how we survive. But isn't it interesting how God set it up that way? You know, when, when God gave an example of serving one master or, or another, he could, have, he could have picked a million of them. But he didn't. He picked one. He said, you can't serve money and God at the same time. If you hold back any part of who you are from God, you cannot get this. You cannot have 
the purity of relationship with him that he wants you to have. You can't. It's impossible. Just like a good marriage. If we hold anything back from each other of substance, then we can't have a good marriage. And I'm not saying when I get up in the morning and she looks at me and says, yeah, you look good. (laughs) I mean, that's more her just building me up. (laughs) Although she really doesn't do that. (laughs) I don't mean she doesn't build me up. I mean, she doesn't necessarily tell me I look good. She's like, you know, you need to fix this and this. And sadly enough for me, goes in one ear and out the other. But the point is, if there was something between us, we could not build the relationship that we have. Not one that lasts. Not one that produces. See, when you build relationship with God and he's pruning and you've given him everything, he produces that fruit in your life. That's what he wants. Right? When we don't give him everything, he cannot produce that fruit. Where did I finish? Oh, verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The word there, disciples, means his followers. An intimate group, when you think of the twelve, an intimate group around him, giving him their lives. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. By the way, there's two different views there. Because, see, the Father's commandments, what Jesus adhered to, And perfected was the law. It says in Hebrews that he came and perfected the law. He didn't do away with the law. He he completed it. Right? He was obedient to his father in the completion of the law. And he gave us a little bit different perspective, which is why he quantifies it in the next couple of sentences. But he says... These things, verse 11, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, that, that he literally can place his joy in you, and that your joy may be full. You want to know the difference between a person who has a relationship with Jesus Christ and a person who does not, or even the depth of that relationship. You can tell by one way, it says it right here, by their joy. By their joy. If you look at that person and and all that exudes out of them is the joy of the Lord, you can be pretty confident in their relationship with Christ. So look at your own life. Because some sometimes the joy we're we're not all extrovert people. Sometimes the joy isn't seen by the world, but you know what? You know yourself. You could judge yourself. Look at your own life 
And see, and that, by the way, that is that is the template that he's doing here. He's not telling the church, okay, I'm giving you a template so you can look at everybody else and judge. No, he's saying, I'm giving you a template so you could look at your own life and see where you're at with relationship with me. Look at your own life. Does it have his joy? More times than not, yeah, for the most part, and then there's times where there isn't. Those are the times you want to focus on. Why? Why Why isn't the joy there then? Well, because I lost my job. Or because, you know, tornado came and fell on my house, ruined my house. Or an investment I had that was supposed to do really well went south and I lost all that. That gives you an insight into what you need to work on with the Lord. Because see, where do you even have joy in those moments? Joy is not happiness. Joy is, joy is not always a smile. Don't confuse the two. Joy is what really goes hand in hand with peace. Saying, Lord... I just lost my house, but awesome. I'm in your will. You're you're under my my grand mansion is already under construction. So take what I lost here and and put a little extra into that mansion. You know, it's it's our reaction to items that really show our joy in them. Even our reaction to turmoil, even our reaction to criticism. Ooh, that's tough. Get used to that one, ignition. And most of you already are, because most of us have already felt so much criticism from people who don't understand, people who don't believe, people who don't want to look at truth. And that's okay. Does that steal my joy? No, in fact, it confirms it. It confirms it. Your joy is not given to you by the people around you. Your joy is given to you by Jesus. He set it up there. He said that my joy be in you and your joy be full. It's not your joy to begin with. It's his joy which you build in relationship with him. Verse 12, and I'm almost done, I think. But this is where I wanted to get to, actually. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his, for his friends. Now think about the, the statement of verse 12. Because we, we all know, what, what are the greatest two commandments? was asked Jesus, and he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So so in hearing that, you, you automatically think, well, yeah, okay, we can we can get away with loving our neighbor a little less than loving God. Because really, I don't like my neighbor at all. And I don't mean me, if my neighbors are listening. I love my neighbors. But you, you understand my point, that... This person who is in my life, who is my neighbor, 
I would rather not have to love them because to me they are extremely unlovable. It is great cost for me to love them. But see, Jesus blew that away in verse 12. He said, This I command that you love one another as I have loved you. So all of a sudden, the the template in how we're to love others is much higher than a little bit below loving God. The template for loving others is how Jesus loved me. How Jesus loved us. He went on to say, He gave His life for us. That was the showing of His love. That was the dramatic level of depth in His love. And He said, you need to be the same with people. By the way, He didn't quantify the neighbors. He didn't say the believing neighbors. Or, actually, what's probably easier today, the unsaved neighbors. You could love those. It's the Christians that I have a hard time with. I don't know how many times I've heard that. No, he didn't quantify that. He said, neighbors, other people. We're to love them as he loved them, or loves them and loves us. That is what's going to unify the bride. Because 1 Corinthians 13 says, there is nothing more powerful than love. Nothing, period, more powerful than love. That's what will overcome. That's what will overtake. And when we're obedient in this, the greatest hope of my life is what he gets into in the next verse. You're my friends if, I, if you do what I command you, if you love all others like this. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. This did not stop when John wrote this down. Right? When John penned the book of Revelation, that was after many, I think it might have even been after all, of the disciples had been martyred. Right? He's not talking about Just understand. What he wants in that relationship with you is you to be his friend and him to be your friend. He wants this. That's what he wants. It will cost you everything. It will cost you everything. It will cost you your life, whether that's literal or metaphoric. It will cost you your life. 
Why? Because he gave his. He set the example for us. For us to not be so worried about our life that we hold on to everything that we want to control. Right? What does it say in Revelation 12? That those who overcame, overcame because of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and that they did not care about their lives even unto death. I don't know about you, but what I want, even more than to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's, that's where I've been my whole life with that. But it's changed. What I want to hear when I stand before him physically, I want him to point at me and tell everybody else. That's my friend. That's what I want more than anything, anything in the world. That's what a ready bride will want more than anything, more than recognizing the differences between denominations or doctrines. Do you want to be his friend? Well, you have to be obedient. You have to be willing to give up your self so it could be intertwined with his. Why? Because he's perfect. He's perfect. You can't intertwine with his heart when you still want to control your own. Alexis, come on up. all the time and I'm going to close us in prayer and um, the only thing that the Lord laid on my heart at the very beginning of what was said is it's easy to look at a small church and think well 50 people is um, easily unified you just have to find a bunch of like-minded people and you're going to be in agreement and then you're in unity don't forget what the true definition of unity is unity is in Christ. And unity is not conformity, uniformity. I've said these things before, but we do have to remember that because we are all different. And the only way to be unified um, is in Christ. And, and I know in our particular uh, journey in Ignition, we, God couldn't have put a more different group of people together. We know here that it has been a hard road of learning Unity, because what he did is he assembled, probably in many aspects, the least like-minded people to come together so that we could learn what true unity is. Sometimes you don't really learn the difference when you're just, you already just totally think like somebody. But the hunger for Jesus that those that came together in Ignition have is what's unified us. And that's the key. God gave us the mantra verse, Matthew 6.33, because we 
are to seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. Then he takes care of everything else. And seeking first the kingdom, Romans 14, 17, is not meat or drink. That whole chapter of Romans 14 is about convictions and differences and don't judge each other and the weaker brother, the stronger brother. It's not. It's righteousness. It's peace in and joy in the Holy Ghost. It is in the spirit that we find unity. And it's freedom when you seek the truth. We know that from John 8.32. Well, what is the truth? The truth is not a, um, an intellectual defender of doctrines and fight to, the, to, the, to death to defend doctrines. When you're seeking the truth in Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, the doctrines will be defended because you will get the purity of the truth as you seek him. He's the only one that can really reveal it. So that's just a clarifier that we may know, but I think it gets lost on the bride at large. We get tripped up a lot by like-mindedness. And if everyone is seeking Jesus and wanting to be filled with the Holy Spirit, all other matters get resolved. Maybe not at our pace. Some are slower than others. There's weaker brothers, but there is something about that place of surrender, that place of submission, that place of love that will unify and give you the capacity to love beyond our natural ability. That's what's amazing, too, is supernaturally loving. Um, I just want to pray, and I want to encourage you to listen to this again. Go through this message again and dig deep, as he said, into that passage, John 15, because it's just loaded. But Father God, we just thank you. We thank you and we praise you, God, for for the truth that you offer. Jesus, I thank you for the truth that you are. That when we seek you, your kingdom, with a pure heart, God, that you will open up. You will reveal. When we're willing to set aside everything we think we know, think we have known, And seek you like a child, open-handed, innocent and emptied. What you will do with that is just fill us up with you. You align us, you straighten us out. And give us capacity to love one another no matter where a person is in their Christian walk. There is such unity Because we love you so much. We receive your love and then we just love people right where they're at. And all of the other worries of compromises and condoning and we've got to be careful of that, we've got to do that. All of those matters are resolved when we take them before you. When we're unified in saying, what does the Lord say? Oh God, you just make things... You just make our path so much straighter than we do. We tend to be the sheep that goes astray so often. God, I just praise you. Thank you for this rich word. Thank you for the depth. Thank you that there are layers that keep your word so exciting and so um, the mystery that's so amazing when we have revelation 
in something we thought we knew, and then you blow our minds with another, another nugget of just beautiful truth, that we might know you, the power of your resurrection, and share in the fellowship of your sufferings, God. We want, we want that relationship, God. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.